Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Today, our normal co-host and friend, Nitin Gower, is not with us. He's actually a keynote speaker in a conference up in Singapore. And he's doing that along with another keynote speaker, Boris Johnson. He's already shared some images with him and Boris talking together and uh, joking away. And one of the things he said when Boris left him is he said, tell me where the best parties are in Singapore. And apparently Boris turned around and said, you are very cheeky. And he is. So we'll see him very soon when he's um, back in the US, which is in a couple of weeks time. But along with us today is another co-host, and, uh, and this is Mark Witten. And Mark Witten, of course, is CIO and co-founder of Portal Asset Management. Thanks for coming along. Hi, Mark. Hi, Derek. Thanks for having me. Good to, good to chat again with Jamie. So Mark very kindly let us have Jamie, so to speak, um, because Jamie was um, introduced to Portal Asset Management at our last webinar. And Jamie kindly came along and spoke uh, at length um, at that last webinar. And so today we're going to be leaning on Jamie for some information about what's happening with Bitcoin, what's happening in the crypto market at the broader area. Can I introduce, before I jump into introducing Jamie, I, I want to kind of set a trend here. And that is, it's interesting how human beings, you know, tend to look at elections and they focus on one person like the president um, or the prime minister, because they can't cope with just the sheer number of members of House of Senate or representatives, et cetera, on the way through. They tend to buy biotech indexes and, and tech indexes instead of looking at individual stocks. And I wonder what we're looking at today is whether we're looking at Bitcoin as the same thing, kind of like an index, a representative of all of this space. Now, Jamie Coots um, works as the crypto market analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Jamie's responsible for creating the crypto market structure, the assets, the sector, and the thematic analysis content for all of these institutional clients. And today I'd like to ask Jamie a few questions around Bitcoin. Hi, Jamie, and welcome along. Afternoon, Derek. Hi, Mark. Nice to see you again. Good seeing you too. So of recent times, very recent, the last few days, uh, Coindesk has been writing articles about um, Bitcoin's market position in regards to not so much a percentage of the market, but in regards to its market value. And it's been talking about things like MVRV or the market value to realize value ratios, the measures of the ratios of Bitcoin's market capitalization to its realized capitalization. It implies Bitcoin is trading cheaply at the moment on, a rel on the relative basis and foreshadows likely future trends. It says that the MVRV readings above 3.7 indicate that the market's overvalued, while readings below one indicate that it's undervalued. So with the current rate reading, it's about 0.85. So Bitcoin's MVRV ratio has fallen to levels not seen since 2019. 
implying the current prices represent a compelling entry point for the long biased investors. So for context, Bitcoin prices at that time in 2019 were $5,000. So with that sort of prelude, where do you think we're going, Jamie? And what do you think Bitcoin is doing as a representative of the crypto market? Well, we've obviously been in a pretty harrowing bear market for the past 12 months. Um, yes. You could argue that actually uh, for Bitcoin, at, at least that the bear market started 18 months ago, um, around the second quarter of 2021. But the rest of the space kind of ripped right into the end of the year um, with that big L1 or layer one sort of move that we saw with around Solana and Avalanche and a lot of the other L1s in the Q3, Q4 era. But obviously the market is digesting this massive withdrawal of liquidity, um, higher rates, um, geopolitical issues, and then of course, all the fraud that we've you know, had to witness over the last sort of six months that's come to the surface. Um, but I think we're sort of approaching that point in the cycle where actually the worst is behind us. Um, a lot of the activity data and a lot of the adoption metrics, which I look at in relation to Bitcoin, but also to Ethereum as well, have started to show signs that there, there's been at least some stabilization um, and perhaps that a lot of it is overdone at this point. But the, the, the crypto cycles are in inherently tied to the macro cycle. So it's almost irrelevant to a point that you continue to see resilient on-chain data if markets are tightening, if the Fed is continuing to um, withdraw liquidity and if investors are basically withdrawing um, risk from the market. You know, you can see this in reverse repo um, transactions at the New York Fed and so forth. So, but I think we're sort of looking at a point now where um, we're looking to bottom out. Um, the one, the one thing which I'll, I'll sort of caveat my caller in terms of where we are in the cycle is that there isn't really an analog for Bitcoin like the one we're about to see in the next 12 months. And what I mean by that is that I have a view that we're probably going to go into recession in 2023, um, and the Fed will obviously have to do what the Fed does and respond by adding liquidity back in the market. Generally, when you see the Fed starting to cut rates aggressively because economic growth is cratering, that's typically never been a good environment for stocks and for risk assets. Mm. So whilst Bitcoin was obviously birthed into the world in 2009, it really didn't have time to sort of go through that period and to have it sort of battle tested to see what it would have done. Um, really, it only became adopted in around 2011. So we're in this sort of new paradigm. And if equities go down, we could actually have further weakness. But I generally think that, you know, with 75% drawdown in Bitcoin, that we're really approaching um, sort of what looks to be like a long-term bottom. It's interesting. From February 2022, uh, I was reading that the correlation between Bitcoin and NASDAQ is 0.96. We might as well call that one-to-one. -one. Um, and so the macro movements are very important. Um, but on the other hand, Bitcoin's dropped some 70 plus percent. And although there are stocks within NASDAQ that have dropped 70 plus percent, NASDAQ, I think, has dropped in the 20s um, over that period of time. So the correlation is there, but the level of amplitude is higher. Um, so do you think we're seeing you know, that Bitcoin has, has done its settling? It's certainly all, a lot of the metrics are showing it's to a point being oversold. Um, whether, whether it's going to be able to break that, that correlation at all, 
in the in the in the coming months or year? Uh, I think it's going to be pretty tough for it to break away convincingly if things get um, you know, really quite dire next year. Uh, the Fed acts too late uh, in the face of you know declining economic activity. Um, and what would that what that should entail in terms of an, an equity sell-off? I don't think that Bitcoin and the rest of the uh, the rest of the crypto complex will be spared. But you'll be able to get clues uh, looking at on-chain data. Uh, it's a big part of the research process that I have. I think that you know if you look at the activity or the adoption metrics, whether it's the number of wallets holding Bitcoin the number of active addresses on the network using it day to day for its, you know, for its yes. purpose of a medium of exchange um, mm. and also the transaction values. As if you see more of that, if you see these metrics continue to either stay flat or increase, which they pretty much have done for the last 12 months. And at the margin, what you're seeing is more Bitcoin be removed, that supply go down, coming into a halving as well. So it will, it will matter at some point, but I, you know, it's 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 very hard for this asset to basically avoid, you know, the major sell-off in in equities, at least in the short term. Long term, I think that this asset will break away and that correlation will decline over time. But um, I think in the next twelve months, it might be a little bit more difficult. Hmm. Mark, yeah, it's it's um, you know, I agree I agree with everything that that Jamie said. I think the challenging part in managing money at this point in time is that good news is actually very much bad news for risk sentiment okay so when we have better than expected jobs data as we saw on monday it came in at mm. like 163,000 versus 200,000 the markets pull back and say oh this gives the fed the ability to to hike further well not the ability the actual desire to hike further almost because they're worried about wage inflation and pressures continuing to feed through so you know right now we've we've been this market has been beholden to a fed that's unfortunately been you know very much behind the curve since the beginning of 2021 and the fed is kind of looking in the rearview mirror and waiting for data points that are current to make decisions that you know interest rate and monetary policy kind of only plays out you know six to nine months later supposedly in in, in the real world so in terms of like bitcoin decoupling you know it it's going to be difficult to see how it will decouple from the global cycle now because right now everything is very much macro driven and it's it's risk on risk off across all asset classes we have then the unfortunate issues that are crypto specific you know the likes of the fraud at, at ftx and so on but then we're also seeing what we believe are very very astute players um you know most recently i think this morning the news is out that goldman suggests that ftx represents a really good buying opportunity and they're starting to to pick up crypto firms of what they see as pennies to the dollar we see fidelity opening up um you know and providing a platform for its you know i think they've got a you know more than i'm not sure the exact number i can look it up i think they got like 40 million clients or something so so you are seeing you know this continuous um or continuing positive sort of infrastructure being rolled out and you know participation by market leaders but then on the the perception the price point you know, global macro is still weak. Uh, you know, we're still seeing the effects of the lockdowns on supply chain issues, particularly now with China. We have, you know, the geopo geopolitical issues globally haven't really been resolved over the past six months. They're not getting better. They're just kind of getting less worse. So we need to 
hopefully seeing quarter one, a bit of a, um, a bit of a reprieve there. And hopefully the news is good, but not too good that it encourages the Fed to start hiking again, but also not so bad that they realize that they've kind of almost derailed the global economy. I think the, the final thing I'd say is in this space, you know, and, and Jamie put out a really excellent note um, a, a day or two ago, focusing on the Bitcoin mining industry. And it's you know, the part for me that would be both concerning, but also a sign of kind of this final capitulation is, is the stress that the Bitcoin miners are under at the moment. Mm. Um, and they're being forced at these rates to to kind of liquidate inventory um, because you've had this continuing, you know, tightening, continuous tightening of, of liquidity. And unfortunately, that's, you know, as you put it, that ongoing contagion from asset class through asset class and, you know, throughout FTX. Because what happened with FTX was kind of that was laid bare because of what happened with Terra Luna and Celsius and so on. So when you see the deleveraging occur throughout the, the industry, it eventually also does feed back into banks and, and, you know, traditional finance institutions. So I'm keen to get your thoughts, Jamie, and also what you believe the reversing, you know, hash rate, you know, do, do you believe that does, does that this does signal this kind of real bottoming, like it's capitulation now, you know, it, everything's kind of been, been hit as hard as it can get hit and there could be a bit more, but I think from here, the forced selling and the leverage should be done. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it just from a risk reward basis, yes, there could be more downside. And, you know, we're looking at a bottom really over the next sort of anywhere between now and the next sort of six months, in my view, six to nine months, possibly. But in terms of most of the downside, I think that's been factored in. It could go it could go lower um, yeah. with the sort of the, the macro backdrop um, worsening. But, yeah, the if you look at 2018, 2019 bottom, you had the similar sort of situation where hash rate was rising all the way through the 2018 uh, calendar year, which was a horrendous bear market. It peaked at 20,000 in 2017, um, fell to around 3,000 by the third or the fourth quarter of 2018. Similar to what we've seen now, about a 75 to 85% drawdown. This, this cycle has been better. The drawdown has not been as bad. Um, but hash rate in 2000 or during that bear market, as it has in this bear market, continued to climb. And like the old saying is like the, the cure for higher prices is higher prices. Like the cure for a higher hash rate is higher hash rate because at some point that continual um, adding of capacity will eventually lead to the, the economic cost of actually producing a Bitcoin or mining a Bitcoin coming to too high and therefore it actually becomes unprofitable and even the best, the most efficient operators may need to pull offline or reduce, um, you know, reduce their hash. Um, what's definitely happening with it, with the fall in the hash rate that we've just started to see is that there are basically more miners who are completely capitulating and we can see that in the inventory of miners. So in 2008, when this same setup happened, the market did bottom a couple of months later. And a couple of months, and I think it was really about one to three months later. Mm. So I think we're right in that point now where the minor capitulation, which we've seen over the last couple of months as hash rate increases, is now going to sort of accelerate and basically um, provide that real low in sentiment or that extreme in sentiment that you generally need for a market to bottom. Um, another metric which I track, um, which is somewhat related, is realized losses. So Actually, what is the on-chain cost or the um, calculated on-chain on loss of coins that are moving? 
And we saw a huge spike in June after Celsius and three arrows. And then we saw a second large spike. And to put that into context, in terms of the size of the Bitcoin market cap, these realized losses in June and then in, I think, October were the second and fourth biggest realizers losses in Bitcoin's history. Yes. Each previous loss of this magnitude has always corresponded with a major cycle bottom or a cycle low. So this, this bear market's a little bit different because we keep on getting new hits in that like there's more fraud that comes out or there's a collapse mm. and that sort of triggers a bit more contagion. So, you know, you've got this sort of extending bottoming phase, but now that we're sort of into the minor capitulation phase, we've got those ingredients which give us a sense that this market is, is set to bottom. Intriguing. And we're also seeing um, an extraordinarily close correlation between Ethereum and Bitcoin, two very different tokens doing very different things, but being highly correlated. Why do you think that's happening at the moment? Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's generally just because, I mean, at, at when time, when the market is uh, fearful, everything sort of correlates to one. So the rising correlation between crypto and equities, and then within the and then within the crypto space, Ethereum to Bitcoin, as you said, are mm. two entirely different networks. Mm. But it's not surprising that there is um, a pretty tight correlation between them right now. Usually, when the market, you know, you you'll see uh, dispersion start to increase in stocks when conditions, when things become less volatile, and you'll start to see that in the crypto space as well. It's just um, we're still in that sort of pointy end of the bear market where things are very tightly correlated at this stage. And, um, you know, it's potentially the reason why Ethereum has not outperformed as much as many of the Ethereum bulls had um, said, despite the reduction in supply that's happened from the merge, it's just because it's seen in the same way as Bitcoin's been seen and it's, it's traded like a, a risk vehicle. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've seen um, this market take these multiple hits, um, you know, I refer to it more like a, a real damage to brand. Um, and and I've read, of course, the headlines from The Economist. We spoke about this last uh, podcast and also the headlines from The New York Times. Credible um, outlets, uh, both turning around and saying, is this the end of crypto? And, and I thought to myself, my gosh, that could be the best buying indicator I've got. Maybe it's time to deploy. Um, what are your thoughts about this brand damage and how long it will take traditional finance to be more comfortable in it? And after all, you're right in the middle of it there because you work for Bloomberg, Jamie. Yeah, look, I mean, I, from the technical analysis um, standpoint, like we in, in that particular community um, always publish like contrarian indicators using uh, magazine covers. And it's happened, it's been a very effective tool all the way back to the 1930s or 1920s. Um, That's so beautiful. it is it is actually a very important indicator. It's not so much as it's, you know, people sort of mention it in an anecdotal way, but actually there's a fairly strong correlation for market tops and bottoms when you see things like this mentioned on the covers of major magazines. Um, so what does that mean in terms of that institutional adoption? What Mark said earlier is absolutely spot on. It's still happening underneath the surface. And 
If we look back to, again, to that last cycle in 2018, during the bear market when crypto was dead and Bitcoin was dead and the obituaries were being written, Fidelity was creating custody solutions. Uh, pension funds were allocating to the asset for the first time as it was down 70 to 80%. These things um, you know, are being done underneath the surface. Um, and sometimes we're made aware of them and they're obvious, like the, fidelity, the, the most recent Fidelity announcement. And there's, um, you know, there is potentially large pension funds uh, who are making allocations, I believe anyway, are making allocations today. Um, I'll also throw into the mix really important news around the infrastructure that's needed to trade these assets improving in that uh, BlackRock uh, through their uh, Latin um, order management system mm -hmm. do have the capability to trade uh, crypto assets. I believe it's only Bitcoin, but it could be other assets and have also in 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 included that into its risk system. Very important for a pension fund, long earning manager, any type of institutional asset manager to actually own an asset, it needs to be um, it needs to be a instrument which can be modelled in their risk platforms and in, and also booked properly in their order management systems. Um, and Bloomberg has also added um, that capability to its order management system. And those two systems represent most of or the two biggest order management systems in the marketplace. Mm. Um, so the infrastructure build out is happening. And in terms of like what will it take after the debacles that we've seen over the last couple of months uh, for institutions to come back in, um, I think you'll you'll probably need to see some uh, regulations in this in the in the uh, in the space. Which I mean, most of us who have been in the industry for a while have said is common sense and required. Yes, um, provided it it's done in the right way and it's thoughtful. I think this is going to be a huge catalyst for the next wave. So again, that's looking like 2023 to 2024 when that gets, when the dust settles on regulations in jurisdictions like Australia um, and definitely in the US, uh, Europe's already moved ahead, um, Hong Kong, Singapore and the UK. And that I think is, um, you know, that is the, that's the green light for institutions. Um, they won't go in and just buy everything. They'll be very selective. Um, but at least it gives them a frame, the, the, the technology framework through order management systems, through systems, and the regulatory uh, green light to actually allocate. So there are over 40 uh, regulations that have been put through to Congress to date uh, without success. Obviously, uh, you know, hopefully we won't let a good crisis go to waste, which is the crisis of F FTX and Alameda. And Nitin Gower, in a week's time, is going to be presenting to the Senate, along with others, representing State Street's views, because they're very keen to work out how to regulate this space. Obviously, with nearly a million uh, retail investors getting exposure to FTX, they, they have a base that's pushing them to make a change. So we certainly hope that make a change. People often get furiously angry with the SEC and you know, pointed one man, again, my presidential statement at the beginning of this, and blame him for all things, which is Gary Gensler. But at the end of the day, he's just a policeman, and he polices the regulations, and the regulations are made by the um, House of Congress and Senate. And so the regulations have to be in place for him to be able to police things sensibly and make a difference. And we all hope that's going to occur. I mean, there are the sort of the libertarians and, and sort of anarchists out there in this space 
that might think they don't want that to occur. But as fund managers and investors, we certainly want to see it occur. And I'd imagine that's what Bloomberg wants to see too. Yeah, I, as long as it's thoughtful. I mean, you can't have exchanges behaving like custodians of assets or non-bank financials, or in many ways like a traditional bank, and not have proper frameworks in place so that customer deposits are respected and maintained. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely it's definitely overdue. Where it gets a little bit tricky, and I've spoken to um, legal and lawyers in the space, and there is no clear, um, I guess, consensus amongst them as to what the right way to move forward is, is really around the security mapping or the, um, the definition of what a security is. I mean, we can clearly say that a lot of these assets are securities, but I think to just keep it within the confines of the traditional definitions of um, securities may hurt the industry you know, of the, it may hurt say, the industry um, and prevent some of the um, the innovation to take place. But I don't yes. think at this stage, it it seems like uh, in terms of what I've just seen in, in the proposed legislation that mm. it's going to be um, overly onerous, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think it is, there's definitely a, a feeling that they need to to get on top of this and catch up, particularly with you know, the amount of, of hedge funds that are being affected by this. I mean, there's, we saw Ikigai, um, there's Oros, orthogonal, orthogonal trading looks like they could be yes. next. Um, Genesis, Amber, Amber, I think is, is in the same boat. I think Genesis is the big unknown. Um, we saw Grayscale, there's, there's question marks. And I think the institutional investors, institutional investors understand how to price risk. You know, that was the feeling we had um, call it a few months back when we we did our roadshow to to the UK and Switzerland is that all the institutions were saying we we understand this we under, we like the volatility we want to invest we will size the position accordingly so that it kind of doesn't doesn't change their their, their volatility profile too much for their their whether it's their pension funds or, or or family offices and so on but they were very much waiting for the market what they perceived as the market cycle to bottom. Um, and they were all thinking about, you know, towards the end of this year, first quarter of next year, which seems to, you know, by and large be playing out. We're starting to see the macro, there's some green shoots there. I think that we need to see the contagion, you know, kind of play out. Um, it's month end, it's just past month end. And I think there'll be a lot of administrators working through, you know, quite a lot of spaghetti soup in some instances, trying to figure out what assets they can write off and what assets they can, you know, keep, particularly with any reference to FTX, all the funds that we've, we only had a very small um, exposure. We had one fund that had a, an, an exposure and, and the rest of the funds had no, you know, the remaining nine funds, we had no exposure. We had two, one with very small and one with roughly 20%. So our overall exposure was around three and a half, four percent at most, which, you know, we understand is, is you know, they've written it down to zero and, and we agreed with that assessment. So we'll need to see which funds you know, continue you know, to trade and which funds are able to repair that. A lot of the funds that we've spoken to, the majority of them, in fact, and it was the feedback we received from one of the funds that were spent you know, a couple of days in London at the crypto, crypto conferences there, the Bitcoin week there, was that a lot of people were speaking about it, but not many professional investors were caught by it, which is you know, very reassuring. So I do think that this has been you know, a black eye for the industry, but it hasn't been what I would perceive as something that would slow down um, the long-range adoption will continue. You know, I think that 
we're still on that that S curve, that technological S curve, as you've spoken about in terms of adoption. We're still moving in the right direction. I'm I'm hoping that the contagion will be finalised after November into December. Um, you know, and whatever balance sheets need to be shored up, hopefully the likes of Goldman Sachs and others are there. We we did have an interestingly enough a distressed debt fund reach out to us um, and you know ask us to connect them to some of the funds that we knew that had assets on FTX, and they're offering. You know they're offering liquidity to some of these funds. I'm not sure what the percentage will be. I expect at least a 50% haircut. But there is the belief that number one, there will be repercussions for this. Number two, there are quite a bit of assets that were already extracted from FTX that hopefully can be pulled back into the net that can be used to make some of the funds whole. And I think that will also restore confidence to the industry if we do see these repercussions. I, I'm, you know, I think that that's part of it. As much as the industry is deemed or these exchanges are deemed unregulated. The people that run them are regulated. They generally need to be licensed somewhere. They they do domicile themselves in, in various um, jurisdictions. And I think that, you know, going forward, all of this will be net net a very big positive for the industry. The question is from, from our perspective, is is this a three to six month thing or like an 18 month to three year thing? And my my belief is I think it's going to be closer to three to six months if the contagion plays out and is finalized. Then I believe the institutions, you know, once we and we're spending a lot of time on this, um, you know, we're, we're working a lot with our funds as well as with the administrators and with um, the likes of Opalesk and others, you know, that are doing these webinars to show how we handle operational due diligence, how they're changed after the likes of Celsius and so on, and how it's going to be changing and updated even further with FTX. So all these things, while painful in the short run, I think are going to be very, very positive in the longer term and will encourage more institutional investment in the space, not less. Mm. It's interesting that, uh, if you know, for the last two and a half years, uh, Mark, you particularly have been constantly discussing counterparty risk, um, even to many investors that would probably, you know, grey out over it because they're saying, well, okay, yes, yes, but this is an exciting market and we're interested in getting. Now, counterparty risk has come to the forefront and it's extremely relevant about counterparty risk, exactly what these um, funds that we might invest in um, or what the exchanges are investing in and where the counterparty risk exists. Uh, so, as I said before, hopefully a good crisis is not going to go to waste. Yes. But we're getting up towards the end of this year, of course. Now we're in December and many people are looking in the um, you know rear vision mirror and to quote the Queen, I think it's fair to say it was Anna's Horribilis um, for, the, for this year and 2023 is the year ahead. Um, the general discussion that I've often heard um, is that it is this first quarter that we hope to see some green shoots. Uh, it's likely going to be the institutions that are the first ones coming back. Uh, retail's been heavily hurt and the brand has been hurt by press and media. So they're probably not going to come back. They'll come back later. Poor old retail does buy at the top and sell at the bottom. So I guess that's in keeping with, with retail. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, you know, the green shoots of next year and the industry um, getting on its feet? Or do you think it's going to be longer, Jamie? No, I think about six, three to six months is, is probably fair. Um, you know, I always go back to just the underlying, uh, the underlying activity data for these chains. So if you look at Bitcoin, in the 2012 bear market, which is really its first bear market, it had roughly about 15,000 active addresses. Mm -hmm. Then fast forward to 2016, that had grown to around 300,000 you know, you know, active addresses daily using the using the uh, 
underlying blockchain. In 20, in the sort of, sorry, that was 2014. So 2018, 2019, that number had grown to around 600,000 active addresses. Now where we find ourselves is throughout this, uh, obviously this bear market of down 75% and calamity after calamity, perhaps like no other bear market that we've seen. Active mm. addresses are around 900,000. Mm. So the, the growth of the network is slowing, but if you look at it from bear market to bear market, these are still huge increases in adoption. So, you know, I sort of expect that that number, which has stayed pretty sticky throughout this entire year at around 900,000, will start to tick up next year. Uh, and if you start to see more people on the network, more activity on the network, generally that means you know, stronger, a stronger price. So I'm very, you know, I'm very confident after looking at the network this year that everything that's been thrown at it, it's still managed to basically grow or maintain the, the active user base, um, you know, significantly higher than where it was in the last bear market. And that justifies the price. So I think it looks, I, I think the, the network, uh, which really doesn't care, is completely ambivalent to the machinations of uh, SBF and all the other crooks that may be floating around and are still yet to be washed out. But it's very, you know, the, the, the outlook for the network is, is very strong and very promising and uh, for Ethereum as well. Um, and it's uh, sort of scaling uh, initiatives with L2s coming on board and, and, and attracting some, some significant usage. So I think the outlook looks pretty strong. No, um, early next year, in the first quarter, we'll get the updated information about the uh, major countries using cryptocurrencies around the world. They come out the first quarter of each year. Uh, and last 12 months, not the last previous year, um, it had tripled in size from about 120 million users to north of 300 million users. And a lot of people expected it was going to triple in size this year. Possibly not now that that downturns occurred um, or this sort of brand damage has occurred, but it's highly likely to have increased in size substantially, maybe doubled in size. And this is something that we often, we often get disconnected for. We look at price all the time as an indicator of usefulness of this space. But at the same time, when you're in India and Vietnam, you know, you're in Russia and China, um, you're trading and active in these assets um, for all sorts of reasons um, on the way through. And I think that's going to ultimately play a solid role in the fact that this industry keeps growing. Price might vary, but the industry keeps growing. Um, and, and I think that's something good for us too. Thank you so much, um, Jamie, for joining us again, because you've also been on our webinar um, and we greatly appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks very much, Derek. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. It's always good chatting. Hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.